Abe and a lot of the crew are in Colorado for a wedding, and uh, thanks to Daniel for stepping up to lead in Riley's absence, and it uh, takes a lot of courage, and one of the things I was talking with Daniel this, this morning, and he didn't know I was going to say this, that he said that I just want to echo is, I think he was a little nervous, rightfully so, um, to lead, but he's, you know, it's not about me, it's about leading others to worship uh, a triune God, and so Daniel, thank you, I believe you did that this morning. So. We're in Hebrews. If this is your first time this morning, I just want to say welcome. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the elders here at the branch, and uh, on behalf of our church family, if, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, this is a, a, a body, a family of believers uh, committed to walking together faithfully, uh, sometimes a little bit rockily, uh, towards Christ-likeness. And so uh, we preach exegetically here, so what that means is we've been in Hebrews for a long time. So we're getting near. I think we've got three weeks after this morning left in Hebrews. And so uh, our desire, our hope in doing that is to read the word of the Lord and to have it move and to change us. And so this morning we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read and, uh, and then we'll pray and, and dive into this text. This is Hebrews 12, verses 25 through 29. It says this, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to gather as a body of believers to worship you collectively. So I pray in the next a few moments that you would stir our hearts and affections towards you. Would you clear our minds to receive your word today? God, we're so thankful that in this season you've called us to this place, and we pray that your kingdom would come in Dahlonega as it is in heaven. So go before us now. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to see Jesus clearly. Would your spirit move in this place? We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do here is we're going to kind of work this passage out in three segments. And so we're going to deal with the first verse and then the second two verses and the last two verses as units, okay? But before we do that, um, I kind of want to lay out this main idea of, of God's judgment. And specifically in Hebrews 12, this is the climax of the writer's warning to the hearers, to the church that received this letter. Um, this is the final warning that the book of Hebrews gives. And so I think we need to we need to embrace it as not just a historical warning, 
but as an eschatological warning, as a, a warning to God's people. Here's what I mean by that. A warning to God's people that God's judgment is coming. There is a, a battle that's been won in the crucifixion, the burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And there is a battle yet to come. We know the outcome, uh, but there is one to come. And so we're talking specifically about the later days in Christ's return, the coming judgment of the Lord. And so here's the main idea this morning that God has spoken to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. If we reject his word, we won't escape judgment. And so the call this morning, the application, if you will, right up front, is that we must listen to and obey the word of the Lord. That is what we've been called to do. That's what it looks like to look like Christ. When we talk about what it means to be a Christian, it means to do what God has asked us to do. And we do that through the scriptures. He has left his word. And it's not some ancient document that we open up on a weekly basis or on Sundays or in family groups exclusively. It's a living document that God has given us to tell us who he is to tell us who we are, and to tell us what he has done and what he will do in the future. So this is a living document, and the writer of Hebrews is, is capturing that by going backwards, this is where we were a week ago, by setting up the Mount Zion and, and the Lord shaking the mountain and giving this warning. And now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, we see this. And so what I want to do as we lay out this groundwork for the coming judgment, right, so we're talking in the future, is just to remind us of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. You don't have to go there. Just listen to these words of the Lord. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow, you know this, will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we're caught in this tension, are we not? We're caught in this tension of we must be aware of the coming judgment of the Lord, but we must not fear it. Okay, does that make sense? That's what Jesus is trying to convey. Fear breeds anxiousness, or maybe it's the other way around. Anxiousness breeds fear, right? And when we begin to, uh, I think what happens and what Jesus is trying to communicate, and I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to capture this, is when we look at the gospel, and I'll lay this out in a moment, when we look at the gospel as a mirror reflecting our own lives, we can see our brokenness and despair if we don't see the full gospel of Jesus coming, of his return, right? If we look at our own sin, we can be caught in despair of how could a good God love someone as broken as me? Maybe you haven't thought that, but I guarantee you there's someone sitting next to you on either side that has thought that. I've been in ministry long enough to know that People who are truly convicted of the gospel take their sin very seriously. There is, uh, certainly there is shame that Jesus sets us free from, but there is a freedom that comes when we let loose of the chains of shame. That's what's happening here. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, right? Our sin, apart from Christ, will lead to an anxiousness for God's judgment to come because at the end of the day, our hearts have not been prepared. We have not truly believed that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to save us. So we can look at our sin with, with deep gravity, but we can also look at our sin with pure freedom, with a release, a let go, the chains have been broken free. 
So therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love those words, and where it's captured in the Sermon on the Mount is at the tail end of the Beatitudes, and Jesus is laying out this beautiful sermon to the people to rally the, the lost, the lonely, the, the hungry together towards a, a better story, a story where there's nourishment, a, nur- a story where there's freedom, a story where there's fullness. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So let's go back and look at verse 25, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read it again as we go along. It says this, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. We have two options here. When we hear the word of the Lord, we either receive it or we reject it. There isn't middle ground Right? This isn't some document that you can say, well, I kind of believe that, I kind of don't. Either you believe it or you do not. This is also a pivotal moment of something that we have to do with Jesus. Either he is the Son of God or he isn't. Okay? So if he is the Son of God, then we can make sense of this. If he is not the Son of God, then we're still waiting for a Savior. Okay? If Jesus doesn't return, all right? then he truly isn't the Son of God. If he didn't die, if he wasn't buried, and if he didn't resurrect, this is Easter, right? Then he isn't the Son of God. Because the Bible is very clear that says one is coming who will be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. That is Jesus our Lord. So here's the deal. If Jesus is to you a good moral teacher, he isn't your Lord and Savior. Do you hear me? He isn't the Son of God if all he is is a moral authority, right? And the danger that we have, and this is, we're going to do it, but the danger that we have is the church for a long time, at least over the last three decades, has turned Jesus into a moral authority rather than the Son of God. And here's what that looks like. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. If you did this on Saturday night, you better be at church on Sunday morning. Have you ever heard this? It's okay to say yes, right? Jesus frees us from that. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You see, this is what the Israelites were going through. Do this, but don't do that. Do this, but don't do that. If you do this, bring some animals, kill them, and now you're good. Until you realize that your arrogance is what brought the animals there, and you go get another animal, okay? So we have to be very clear that Jesus has set us free from the law. So the do this, don't do that is no longer the authority of our life. So if you're coming in with that baggage, with that weight of decisions made within the last 24 hours or 48 hours, there's freedom here. You don't have to carry that in. That's what it looks like to do church as family. You bring it in and we hold it for you. Okay? That's what the gospel does. You, you bring your filth Jesus takes it, okay? The punishment, the consequence of whatever you're bringing in has been put on his shoulder. He carries the burden, and he alone. Amen? It's okay to say amen. Do we want to do it again? No, we'll try it later. It's all good. The word must be received or rejected. There's no middle ground. In in Revelation chapter 3, it says, uh, don't be lukewarm, have you ever felt like your, your spiritual life is a little lukewarm? 
The Bible is very clear. I'd rather you be hot or be cold. Just don't be in the middle. Jesus is not found in the middle. You have to do something with Jesus. You have to do something with this call, with this warning. Jesus warns from heaven, and the shaking that we'll read about comes from the ends of the universe, not just the ends of the earth. Those who reject God's word will not escape God's coming judgment. Let's listen to verse 26 and 27. We're going to take these as a unit. It says this, at that time, his voice shook the earth, talking about Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bible, I want you to flip over to Haggai. I know that's a, that's a difficult ask. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a small Old Testament book kind of right there towards the end. If, uh, if you get to Jeremiah, keep going. If you get to Zephaniah, you're close. If you uh, get to Zechariah, you've gone too far, okay? So Haggai, it's just a little, uh, what, two-chapter two book. But I want you to hear these words as the writer of Hebrews draws on this narrative to cast this warning to God's people. I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us a little bit of context. We'll go down through verse 10. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now, this is verse 2, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, into all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. I'm going to take a time out. Hebrews, for really chapters 11 and 12, the theme is perseverance. We get a bunch of examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of people to be like. We get some examples in chapter 12 of people not to be like, but the main theme is perseverance in your faith. The way that Haggai would write it is, be strong, all you people of the land. It's the word of the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. If you need a Bible verse to memorize this week, that's a good one to memorize. Fear not. It's right there. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, 
declares the Lord of hosts. So one of the things we do in family groups is we read a text and we ask three basic questions as a way to catapult us into dialogue around uh, God's word. The first is, what does it say about God? And specifically, we're trying to go after, what does it say about who God is, about his nature and his character, what he's done, his, the person and work of Jesus? What does it say about God? When you read Haggai, what was the refrain that Haggai kept going back to? The Lord of what? Hosts. So what is a host? A host is someone who welcomes people in. A host is someone who sets the table and provides the meal. It's an entertainer, but not in the entertaining sense, right? It's a, someone who is hospitable. You begin to see all of these characteristics of who God is when you read, when you slow down and pay attention. A lot of times when we're reading the Bible, maybe this isn't you, maybe this is just me, when you see repetition, you start to skip repetition. Have you done that? Yep. Right? Especially when it's numbers, right? When you read the numbers, you just kind of like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, it's the same thing, right? But when we're talking about God's word, repetition is so important. It's repeated so that we could remember. We talk a lot about here that the liturgy gives us the language of our faith. Right at the end of every service, and it's been a little uh, sketchy lately because the screen has been, we've had a few words kind of off the bottom of the screen, but we do it every Sunday with this liturgy of, of the church, and we ask these questions, and we give a robust communal answer because we're trying to cast God's narrative as a net around our people and saying, this is who we are. And the, these, this, the liturgy of Haggai, the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the one who's coming in judgment. You see, we can't, we can't lose God's nature and character. It's, it's one thing to sort of study and to read uh, the, the prophetical books and the, the inside, to read Revelation or Daniel and to see God as some severe judge. And he is that as part of his character. But he's also the Lord of hosts. Those who are his are welcomed in. This is the gospel, Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, things were all good, okay? In the beginning, it was all right. God created, and man was in right relationship with God. But instead of being sufficiently with God, man wanted to be God. And sin entered the world and created a fracture, a division, a divide. Recently, uh, Megan and I were in Arizona, and you fly over... Uh, Grand Can parts of the Grand Canyon, and you see this massive ravine, right, this gap, this void. That is us. Apart from Christ, we're, we're void. We cannot be in right relationship with a good and loving Father who created us. He knows every hair on our head, and yet he is the Lord of hosts who doesn't just welcome us in, but gives us his son's seat at the table. This is the gospel. When things were broken, he sent his son, not just to redeem, but to bring in. I said this a couple weeks ago. We weren't just saved from something. We were saved to someone. This is why when we study in our groups, we start with what does it say about God? Because we've been saved to him. We've been saved from trash and filth and loneliness and depression and drugs and sex and all of the stuff, but we have been saved to 
a Savior, a good and loving Father, the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Amen. You missed it again. Over for 2. There's going to be one more chance, I think. I don't know. All right? This is the gospel. Jesus came to redeem the broken, to put the pieces not just back together, but to create something new, fully whole. He died a real death, a brutal death, an actual heart-stopped beating death. And he rose again, and the promise that he leaves us with is he said he's going to come again. He will return. And we're in this moment where we're ushering in God's kingdom, and we're just waiting for Christ to return. Because he's going to come as a judge, but he's going to come as a host. You have to do something with the gospel. You either receive it or you reject it. And what you do with the gospel determines what happens on this day, the day that is coming. Will it be a day of hosts? Will it be a day of judgment? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. While while you're doing that, um, I'm usually the guy who they task with reminding people about the Bible reading plan, partly because I'm a, a huge advocate for we have to teach people to read the Bible for themselves, right? So this is why we've structured family groups the way that we've structured family groups, because we believe that if you're coming here to hear Gabe or to hear me or to hear Dylan every week, and that's where you're getting your spiritual formation, that we are going to fail you, okay? Maybe not Gabe. But I'm going to fail you. I cannot be responsible solely for your spiritual formation. And if, if you're just in town for the weekend, the church that you're that you go to, or if you're a student at the church that you grew up in, the pastor of that church too, he may think that, but he isn't responsible solely for your spiritual formation. God has given us this book to read it, to tear it apart, to study it. And so as a church, we covenanted, we should have put it in the bylaws, but to read the Bible chronologically through the year. There's been a new ESV update. I meant to tell you this two weeks ago, and I completely whiffed. But now, uh, the, the Gettys girl, she's from Ireland, she reads it in the ESV app. Oh, it's so much better than the guy who used to read it who kind of sounds like a robot. So if you need to catch up, listen to Kristen Gettys read you the Bible, okay? It's fascinating. And she's very, um, I'm not going to do my Irish accent, but um, it's a little bit easier to listen to, okay? Let's go and look at verse 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for, a receiving, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. At the end of Haggai, that passage we just read, what was the theme that was, we were left with? It was a theme of peace, right? That was, that was, those were the last words that we get in that passage. It was this idea of peace comes, peace is being ushered in. This is what we see when We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is what peace looks like. It feels like, and maybe I'm alone in this, but it feels like everything around us is just shaking all the time. Everything is just, it's constant. There's no unity. There's no togetherness. It's just division and hate. I mean, that is the the shaking of the earth. Okay? And there's going to come a day when it will shake its final time. That is the point. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot 
cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. This goes back to what Daniel was talking about in the pre-service. It has nothing to do with a performance. Please hear me, and I'm a huge advocate for this, and you've probably heard it if you've been here at all. This is one of the soapboxes that I go on, and I'll try not to make it soapy. But if you go to church because of the music, you've missed it. And the music, I mean, they want to be excellent, right? Daniel didn't want to come up here and not be good. Riley worked incredibly hard week after week to lead us well. But if we were solely dependent on worshiping God based on their performance, then we've missed what God's trying to do in this corporate gathering. Does that make sense? So be very careful. One of the things, so I've, as I've been in ministry basically my whole life, but I, I worked with a ton of college students on the SMU campus when we lived in Dallas. I was in seminary, and, and these kids were coming in from all over the world, right? And the kids, SMU is kind of one of those weird campuses where there's not a very spiritual culture, right? It's very much anti that. And so our, our group wasn't big, but we had this, these kids coming from all over the place. And one of the real struggles that they have, and maybe this has been true of you, or maybe it's true of you right now, is that you're, you're coming into a new place, right? You're moving into a town, and you're trying to find a church that you left. Wherever you're from, you know, whatever the church that you grew up in, you come here, or you go wherever you're going, and you're trying to find the exact replication of that church. It doesn't exist. It doesn't. And so whatever it was that brought you is, is what's going to keep you. And so what we've confidence in, we said it's going to be the gospel that brings people in, and that's it. And so we meet in a gymnasium. We sweep the floors occasionally. But we meet here, one, because we have to. It's the only place that we can meet. And we keep growing, and so eventually this gym will be too full, and we got to figure out what we're going to do, right? But our goal is that what we're going to do, this is why we teach the way that we teach, is we're going to teach God's Word, every single line of it. Because what's going to bring you here is going to be what's going to keep you here. And if we put on a show Sunday after Sunday, then we got to keep putting on shows, And my fear is eventually these will be the people when it starts shaking that fall away. It must be the gospel that brings you into community. Every time, no matter where you live, wherever you go from here, that must be true. I know that finding a church can be really hard. When we moved from Dallas, we planted a church downtown, and we moved to Gainesville, which is not downtown Dallas at all. And we had a really hard time finding a community of people that we were going to walk life with. So I know that moving into a place and, and finding a church can be really hard. I think it's supposed to be kind of hard, right? But what is important is that the Bible is being taught fully, that the gospel is proclaimed week after week. We talk about when we're crafting these sermon series, which, you know, we do it once and then we're good for two years, but when we do this work, the main thing, and we could do this, is every week we just go through the gospel narrative. Every week, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is what we gather for. It is the purpose. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's what stirs our affection 
It's what leads us to right worship. All of life is worship, I believe. Would you agree with that? All of life, everything you do. It's not just the gathering. It's when you leave here. It's, it's how you eat your lunch. It's how you treat your neighbor. It's how you write your paper and turn it in. It's how you do everything. All of life is worship. If what you do isn't drawing you closer to the Lord, you should do something different. All of life is worship. The question I, I want to ask is, what are we calling others to? Right? The, the church is a, is a storied people. Okay? This goes all the way back to the beginning. We, we've been a people of story. And before the Bible was printed, the people of a town would gather and hear it spoken over them. Okay? And that changed once we got access to paper. Right? But we're a storied people, which means that we're constantly telling and retelling the story of God. What He has done what he is doing, and what he's covenanted to finish. And so as we come together, what are we calling people to? Are we calling them to grace? Do you know what grace is, actual grace? Grace is freedom. Not freedom, not license. It's freedom from death. That's what grace is. Grace is, I look at your brokenness. I take your brokenness. And not just that I take it on as discipline, but I give you my reward and I expect nothing from you. Are there days, and you don't have to answer this, are there days where you look at your life and you, man, I've failed Jesus? Yeah, probably have been. It could have been this morning, pulling into the parking lot, you hit the curb, right? It's so easy to forget who we are, who we've been called to be, so what are we calling other people, people who are outside? So the last thing that we ask in our family groups is, what does it say about those who are outside the church? So what does it say about God, his nature, his character? What does it say about us, people who are Christians, people in the church? And then what does it say about people who are outside of the church? Because if we're not thinking about them, then we exist for no future. It's a selfishness. We've been called to be sent. Okay? This, is, this is the end of Matthew. This is the Great Commission. To go out into the world. He didn't say come in. He said go. That's the work of the gospel. What are we calling people to? Are we calling them to grace? Are we calling them to a relationship? Are we calling them to joy? Have you experienced joy lately? That's a fun thing to call people into. Joy is contagious, I found. And if you bring joy, joy surrounds you. I'm for real. Walk with someone through a difficult season of life and be their constant joy bringer, that person will find joy. They may still be hurting, but they will find joy because they found purpose. Grace towers over judgment, but grace is not a universal message. I want you to, we're going to close in Ephesians, so go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, right at the end of the book. This is Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20, so hang on and just listen well. It says this, finally. Don't you love that? 
Doesn't it find, like, don't we feel like we just need a time where we can just say, finally. I could. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belts of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of what does it say? The gospel of peace. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The reason that we are constantly talking about how important it is to study the Bible is because the Bible informs the Bible, right? One of the things one of my professors told me when I was in seminary was someone who knows their Bible really well can make it say whatever they want to say, okay? That's the real danger, okay? The, the devil knows the Bible really well. And the devil will pull stuff out and use it for his good and for his purpose, okay? But if we allow the Bible to translate the Bible, then we begin to see clearly not just who God is, but what he's doing and what specifically he's doing with me. So you read through the themes from Haggai to Hebrews to Ephesians. What are the words that are similar what are the refrains that are repeated? What is, the, what is the story that the writers are drawing in to gather and to rally a people? What is the motivation? What is the purpose? One of the themes that comes out of this warning is that there will be a day of peace. It's coming. Final peace. Like actual peace, real peace. Shalom. There's a guy, an uh, Old Testament writer, his name's Walter Brueggemann. He, he defines shalom as the, the dream of God. And not like, don't, don't think too much into that, but the dream of God for this place, for this world. Or, or, is that what we're seeking? Is that when we're, what we're doing when we, when we gather together? Is that what we do when we scatter out into the world? That we're seeking the peace of God everywhere that we go? Because that's what we've been called to. If you're a Christian this morning, that's what we've been called to. If you're not a Christian, that's what we're calling you into. This is a work that can't be done alone. That's why when Jesus said, go therefore, he's talking to a team of people, not to an individual. 
And just to make you feel better, the team wasn't perfect. But Jesus is. There's coming a day when peace will be fulfilled. Violence and evil, hatred and division, all this stuff will be done. It'll be over. And we will stand face to face with the God who created us perfectly in his image. Please hear that. It wasn't an accident. He created you perfectly in his image. So when you look at yourself and you see yourself differently or or less than someone else, just know that you were created perfectly by God in his image. That's peace. That is peace. That is shalom. May we be found living in light of God's coming judgment. That's what we've been called to. Because the day is coming. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you dearly, and we are so thankful that you've given us this book, this letter, written to a people going through unspeakable pain as they flee persecution, as they wrestle through division within the body. These warnings that were true for them are true for us, and would you help us to hear them and hear them well. I thank you that in your Son that we've been made whole, we've been brought back into your presence the way that it began in the garden. Will you help us to trust your word, to read your word, to speak your word, to study your word? Would you call us to receive it? And Father, I pray for those this morning who, who may not be there yet. Would you use moments like these moments to, to stir their hearts, to stir their affections, to open their mind, to drop the scale from their eyes. Would they find freedom this morning knowing that you are a good God who is coming to restore and to renew and to make all things new. We believe your promises that there's going to come a day when you wipe every tear away and peace, true peace, will be fulfilled. Help us to worship you well in these next moments. We love you and may our gifts be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.